Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want any more information on sermon series, podcasts, other things like that, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. give the wrong impression that there are parts of Exodus that shouldn't be preached. The whole book can be preached. We're just saying there are some parts of the book that are not as easy to preach and we're both chickens. <laughs> I'm glad you're just being real honest. Yeah, there. I'm just going to be real real, real big challenge to try to make some of these uh, sermons into uh, a preachable a section of scripture. Although you're right, it's all valuable. And so that's why we want to at least hit them in, the, in these. But um, we had an overriding direction we were taking in the series, sure. and I think that has prevailed. But but yeah, we got some interesting things here. And why not talk about law, right? Let's talk about the law. Everyone's that, favorite topic. Everybody loves the rules. Some people do actually do like the rules. Some people like them far too much. But anyway, that, to each his own, right? Anyway, <laughs> we also have, so we've got the, you know, the Ten Commandments of the of chapter 20, but then mm-hmm. we've got a, a bunch of laws in there that come in after that, and some interesting stuff here. And it is kind of a piecemeal. If you've read through Exodus, if you've done any of our reading plans, you know, we've given you a chance to read through Exodus a couple times at this point already in 2022. And <clears throat> as you do so, you might notice this feels like a bit of a hodgepodge. You go from everything from... This is how you treat a Hebrew slave. To this is how you treat a foreigner. This is how you treat women. This is how you treat animals. You know, if your if your bull gores a man, this is what you're supposed to do. To everything of how to treat, you know, how to treat women. What yeah, what to do, what not to do, how to fit in, how not to fit in. It's all over the place. Why not to knock over a pregnant woman? Those kinds of things. Could, see, super helpful advice. All there. So I think the one thing that has helped me with chapters 21 through 23 specifically is think about 19 and 20 being 19 is God calling his people up, right? He's saying, hey, I'm welcoming you into a different relationship than anyone else in the whole wide world. I've called you out of Egypt and now I'm welcoming you in. And the people freaked out and they didn't really want to have the relationship with God that, that he wanted to have with them. So they gave it all over to Moses and Moses ends up being this, this voice box for them. And then I think the, like I said, my best understanding of 21 to 23 is these are probably either court decisions that were made either by Moses as he's sitting in the chair with Jethro back in 18, or these might be things that over the, the period of time, they were sort of refined laws that said, Hey, this is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you're supposed to do that. This is, this is what's supposed to happen. And with that said, these various laws are all over the place, but I think two things to think about. First of all, it's not all of the laws that Israel ever had to deal with. It's just not. And second of all, what it's also showing is the the change of the culture that's happening in Egypt, or sorry, Israel, as they've moved out of Egypt now and they're becoming their own people, there there's a certain element of you're not going to be like everybody else. This is this is how you're going to be different. So that's something most people probably wouldn't even notice in the text, but if you compare this to some of the other ancient Near Eastern laws, it's not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think I agree with you. I think these are probably things that were precedent-setting issues. Yes. Uh, you know, you've got a man who opens a pit, 
It doesn't cover it up. The neighbor's ox falls in it. Maybe the guy's a prankster. Like, watch how I can get one of his animals. You got punked. Fall. <laughs> get one of his animals to fall into it. Mm-hmm. And so what to do with it. But you, you could totally see how if um, Moses and those who have then now become the judges, the officials to, to mm-hmm. settle these issues, they can go, you know, here's some standard things that this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what you owe. If, if you kill someone else's slave then guess what? Here's what you're going to have to do, or yep. here's what the penalty is going to be. If you steal an ox, there's what it's, you know, restitution. So it makes sense. It does. And so here's a couple of big ones that we would like to point out. For me, you know, I'll start with verse 2 of chapter 21. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and on the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. That is not a common law in the ancient world. The, the fact that after six years... And on the seventh year, the person will be free. You hear the Sabbath there, right? You yep. hear this idea of six and you know the seventh being a freedom time, a time of rest. There's a beauty in that. And so, just imagine if you had fell on hard times, you had to come work for someone, and then six years later, you knew I'm going to be freed yep. in my seventh year. That's a beautiful thing, and that's different than the rest of the ancient world. Yeah, it gives some some mercy in it, doesn't it? It does. What about for you? What are a couple that pop out? Uh, you know what's interesting to me in chapter 22, uh, verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Now, that's interesting to think about and um, wonder why that's in there. And, and certainly we can go forward in, in, the, in history scope here and, and even think of, of Saul, you know, needing mm-hmm. to bring back Samuel and sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and it speaks to even that, that power that's evil there, but... And how wrong it is, and like in, in this is pretty, pretty extreme. Uh, if there's a sorceress there, kill them. You know, like that's pretty, pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And I think within that, you know, maybe it's just something for us to to pause and just go. You know, we need to be very cautious what we give our attention to or or focus on, and and the scriptures need to be our guide, not <laughs> some individual who has a unique uh, profession. I would add also to that that uh, 22, verse 22, um, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. I, I think that's such a, a neat thing. We see it in Scripture again um, in, in, in the book of James, you know, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father uh, to, to God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, You know, the idea that there would be these among them that for one reason or another um, is without that protecting influence or that protecting uh, family or or a husband or whatever, that that they need to be treated well. And you think of the... Just in our culture, uh, the effect of, effects of fatherlessness and yeah. effects of loneliness for people, um, the people who are in poverty, and that's part of, you know, it's been part of my heart even just in the adoptions that, that we've done is that um, to be a father to the fatherless I think is really cool and has been certainly been a blessing to us, but it just shows his, uh, the Lord's concern for those, you know. Again, to be a widow in that culture might mean that you're going to go without. And 
And then the lawyers know you do not mistreat those. Yes, and I think that's a big one for us to think about. Part of what is happening here is God is saying, I want you to care for the people who can't return the favor. Mm-hmm. Also, what jumped out to me is uh, in, in verse 28 of chapter 22, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Now, again, this is written to the Israelites, you're not, so you're not to curse an Israelite ruler. Um, but we also have to compare that with what we read in, in Romans about you know giving honor to those who, who are in a position of honor and that sort of thing. Um, and if we want to get real practical with that, you know, what's, what's our attitudes towards some of the leaders that we have in culture today? And, and I know that I'm quick to find myself mumbling about yep. uh, the way things are and what uh, decisions that uh, leaders are making on the national or state level that are, to me, are atrocious and unacceptable or, or just plain uh, illogical. Uh, and yet we are not to curse them or to dishonor them. And so that, that that's a, that's a tricky spot to be in and even a little bit tough one for us to wrestle with as far as, you know, where's the line with that? And at what point uh, do do we go against them because what they're saying or promoting sure. or, or pushing is clearly against Scripture? You know, that that is where it gets a little bit more tough to navigate what that looks like and how we uh, deal with that tension. Absolutely. And so I think with that, the, the takeaway would be we can honor someone, give them respect, even if we don't agree with what they're saying and doing. And we can also say that we don't agree with what they're saying or doing without reviling them, without, yeah. without throwing them under the bus. So if you're not happy with the current administration, if you were not happy with the last administration, if you will not be happy with the next administration. If you haven't been happy with the administrations for a while. <laughs> which many of us are in that camp. And so for us to be people who are respectful and kind even if we disagree completely you can do so in a way that doesn't dishonor or revile somebody yeah uh you know there's so many good laws here that are just all over the place you know everything from how to treat a neighbor if something doesn't go right to you know the we have the sabbath and the festivals that are going to be you know instituted by this new nation as they get developed I even love the end of 23, the fact that God promises that he is going to remove certain individuals from the land of Canaan for them. And it's interesting that the the people groups that he talks about here have a very uh, sketchy past is the word I would use. I mean, there, there's a, they're almost like code words in the Bible. When you read the words Amorite, Hittite, and Canaanite, it's sort of a, these are the worst of the worst. Like if you want to meet people who are just bloodthirsty, disgusting individuals who are doing terrible, 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 terrible things, you're not going to find any people group worse than, than those three. So as we're reading through our Bibles, we need to be careful and cautious to just stop and think about what's being said there. I know a lot of people have trouble with the land being cleared from these individuals. Yeah, seems but, harsh. But if you start to look through the practices that they have going on, and if you go back to the Genesis passage where he says to Abram, their sin has not reached its full measure yet. The, they had 400 years to fix their situation, and they're choosing not to. Whereas, you know, I recently preached on, on the book of Jonah, and even the Ninevites, who are also pretty bloodthirsty and pretty nasty, when they hear the message that God is going to deal with them, they repent. Yeah. And since the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Canaanites do not do so, there's an, 
there's a pretty strong sensibility in me that says uh, they needed to get removed. There's something that needed to happen, you know, and I'm not going to go into detail what they did because I don't know what age group is listening to this, but it's just really bad stuff, even to the point of sacrificing your children in really painful, disgusting, gross ways. So, you know, before you throw the whole Bible out because of these couple of verses, let's just pause for a second and say, let's think of the grand scheme, what's happening here. And I think one of the things that I like to talk about when I deal with the law is really this kind of the second main point we want to talk about in this section is this isn't just about a bunch of random laws. This is about rebuilding an entire culture. Mm. People who had been ingrained and, and taught to think the Egyptian way, which part of the Egyptian way was whoever conquers, conquers, and they do whatever they want to do. Sure. So if you're in power, it doesn't matter what you do. You have no accountability. Yeah, free reign. You do whatever you want. And part of what God is instilling in his people here in these couple of chapters, if you read them closely, they may seem barbaric to us at times, You know, even to the point of if a gore bores a man, you're supposed to pay for the dead body. If a gore bores a man? Ox. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, if an ox gore, yeah, thank you for calling me on that. If an ox gores a man, yeah. It's bad to be bored too, though. Well, he bores a, I think a hole through the yeah, Okay, there you, go, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, in my head, that's what I was saying, but I didn't say it right. But if an ox bores a man, you have to pay not only the man for the ret- you know the retribution of what happened to him, even to the point of if he's really injured, you have to pay for a lifetime full of work that he's missing, worker, workman's yeah. comp. But also, if he dies, you have to take care of it. Now, if it was an accident, totally different situation. And you're allowed to decide how you're going to handle the situation. But if it's not an accident, if you're being negligent with your ox, you you have a price to pay. And that's a good thing for a society to set itself up with. Just because you're the richest, most powerful man in town doesn't mean you get to just do whatever you want to do. And so just think about it that way. If you read it and you go, I don't really like some of this. Uh, some of what's happening here is sort of moving them out of the really, really dark ages in Egypt into a, a new age. And by the time you get to the New Testament, some of these things, uh, I, I don't want to say they've been changing, but slavery is, is more frowned upon in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that. God is moving his people along in a direction. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to process that, think about that a little bit. But I think if, you know, however you want to look at these couple of chapters, social justice is a big part of the discussion going on here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, and I think you raise a great point there to realize that coming out of cultures where, where it's just all top down and those in authority do whatever they want, I mean, it would make you want to be people who make it to the top somehow so you could treat everybody however you want. Yes. And, and God's just starting to say there's a different way to do this, and we're, we're going to do things differently. And I think the best way that I thought about this, and this is really helpful, you know, there's, there's videos that we'll make available to you in the next couple of weeks and months. One of the best ways that I understand justice in the Bible is those who are in power are, I don't want to say entitled by God, but they're, they're commissioned by God to take those in lower places and raise them up. Not to just accept them or whoever they are. I I don't want to try to give the impression here that if someone's living in sin, we just go ahead and bring them up to our status and everything's great. That's not what the Bible's asking. It's saying there's a better standard. God's standard is better than all the others. But if you are rich and powerful, part of your job is to take the lower classes and bring them to your level, or at least treat them as if they're just a normal person like you. And for us to understand that we leadership with leadership comes humility, with leadership comes not status or power, but a responsibility, some type of obligation. 
And we get this from the Bible itself. The way God treats his people just seems ridiculously gracious and wonderful in a way that we don't deserve. God's saying, I want you to do the same to the people around you. So if you take a slave, they're going to be free after six years. That's huge. That's different. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if, if a woman is responding in this way, this is how you handle her. And it's better than if you, you know, we're in Egypt or, you know, if you do something inappropriate with someone, you're going to pay for it in some way. You're going to show them that, nope, you're a human being. I trust you. I love you. I appreciate you. You deserve better than I gave you. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay my, the, the cost that I have. Whereas our legal system at times is sort of a, well, I got away with it. So everything's fine. Yeah. Doesn't not, matter. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Alrighty. So the last thing that I want to point out here is this is some of the oldest Hebrew we have in the whole Bible to the point where that ox goring, I'm going to be very careful with my language now since I just totally messed it up. <laughs> but when it says ox, if an we, we write it in English, if an ox gores a man, you will pay restitution. In Hebrew, it, it word for word sounds like this, ox gore man pay bill. That's mm. all it says which shows us that this is some of the earliest Hebrew, some of the oldest Hebrew we have access to in the Bible. And so what do we take away from that? What, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to do with that fact? I think the most important part of that is this is one of the oldest writings of the entire Bible. This chapter of 21 through 23, whatever, got pieced together, whatever got finalized by the, the people down the road who are putting the, pan, the, the canon together that are building what we call the Bible today. They're taking some of these laws and they're, they're putting them together to give us the, the bit of the corpus that, that is in Israeli history. The fact that they're pulling from some of the oldest stuff shows us how far back this book goes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it really solidifies at least this part of Exodus as very, very old. I mean, we're talking Moses... English, you know, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the age of the age of the book is very significant. Sure. So Moses's Hebrew is is so old, it would be sort of like us reading. I don't know if you've ever read Beowulf. No. Okay, that's fine. Beowulf is written around a thousand A.D., and we've we've sort of translated it into English. But even if you read it in English, it doesn't read like today's English. It's a thousand years old, and it's very Germanic and kind of different. It just has. The ways that words are spelled is even different. It's just a different writing of English. And we've smoothed that out now for over a thousand years. The fact that not only did the Hebrew writers here use old language, the fact that they also didn't smooth it out for us gives some validity in my mind to, especially this part of the Old Testament. It's very, very, very old, which means the Israelites did leave Egypt at the time that they said they did. It also means that these decisions were being made possibly, like I said, by Moses on the chair with Jethro standing there going, what are you doing? Uh, all of this is, is making its way into the Bible to show us, yeah, no, this, this is true. This happened a long time ago. And even though maybe some other parts of the Hebrew have been smoothed out or finalized in some ways, you know, some link words are dropped in, beautiful, beautiful things. And I believe the Holy Spirit's involved in all of that process. You know, there's no point where the Holy Spirit wasn't superintending his word being finalized and written. Uh, but this right here is some of the oldest Hebrew we have, and that, that's important to me. Fascinating. Just helps us get, gain an appreciation for our, the Word of God, doesn't it? It does, and I think that's one of those little things. I'm dropping this in here for the Bible nerds in our listenership that might say, someone told me the Bible's way newer than they say it is. No, 
I'll show you that's not entirely true.